Welcome to the YA Cafe, where we share conversations about books for teachers, readers, and caffeine addicts everywhere. On today's episode, we'll be talking about All of This is True by Ligia de Peñaflor with YA author Amanda K. Morgan. Grab a mug of your favorite beverage, friends, and let's talk books. This podcast is made possible by Nouvelle ELA Teaching Resources. Find secondary ELA resources to engage and inspire, like creative reading task cards, N-O-U-V-E-L-L-E. ELA. Something new. Welcome, y'all. As always, our first segment will be spoiler-free, and so you can stick around even if you haven't checked out the new novel yet. I'm Amanda Thrasher. And I'm Danielle Hall, an 8th and ninth grade English teacher, and I blog at teachnouvelle.com. Our guest today is Amanda K. Morgan, author of Such a Good Girl and Secrets, Lies, and Scandals. Hi, Mandy. Hi, guys. So we're so excited to have you today. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is great. You are our very first author, so we want to make sure to give you time to brag about your books. We've talked about Secrets, Lies, and Scandals before on our Scandalous episode, and we really loved it. Um, So do you want to talk a little bit about that book and also uh, Such a Good Girl? Sure. And like I said, so excited to be here and talk about another really suspenseful novel and Again, um, I listened to a lot of your podcasts and really enjoyed them. So thank you again, like I said, for inviting me. And um, Such a Good Girl and Secret Slice and Scandals are both thrillers. And um, they're both also like psychological suspense novels. And I think that is absolutely, for me, the most enjoyable thing to write and also kind of the most enjoyable thing to dissect. So Secret Slice and Scandals. um, And when I talk about my books, I kind of like to take people on a pop culture tour. So Secret (laughs) Slice and Scandals is kind of like the breakfast club meets like how to get away with murder meets like, um, Killing Mr. Griffin, if like you liked Lois Duncan, if you ever read that when you were growing up. I know in middle school, I was obsessed with her. She was, is fantastic. You know, they're repackaging (laughs) some of her books. I wish like they would repackage all of them. Um, But I recently bought uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer Again, just because I was like, oh, I love her. And then um, Such a Good Girl as kind of like Pretty Little Liars meets Luckiest Girl Alive meets Gone Girl. So um, there's a lot of psychological manipulation in all of them. Um, they're a little bit edgy. They're a little bit out there. Um, they've been recommended a lot for reluctant readers, which I'm really proud of because I just love, um, I love teens reading. I love students reading. I love, you know, people picking up the book across the board, which I've really seen. So that's great. Secret Slice and Scandals is when five students accidentally kill their teacher and try to cover it up. And teachers, I still love you. I was a teacher. <laughs> Nothing against teachers, I promise. And our um, target audience is like, wait a minute. Maybe I don't want this book. <laughs> they're like, wait a minute. Who is this author? Well, he's, not a, great, such... he's not a great teacher. Like, that's one of the things we talked about. Yeah. <laughs> he's a terrible person. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and such a good girl um, is actually about a student who um, starts to develop feelings for her teacher and then realizes that maybe he has feelings for her too. And the story really develops from there. And I struggle to talk a lot about this book because it's really twisty and turny and I don't want to give a lot away. Yeah. Um, Yeah, but ultimately, um, there's a lot of blame, there's a lot of manipulation, and um, I hope it's a lot of fun. I definitely thought it was, and I think that you do such a good job of writing what teenagers want to read. Like, that's how I felt as a teacher, putting your books in the hands of my students, and 
They're just great. It's funny you say it's hard to talk about such a good girl because I also think it's hard to talk about such a good girl. And I'm like, I want to recommend this to you, but I can't tell you why I love it. (laughs) (laughs) But it is a great book and I definitely recommend it. If anybody likes psychological thrillers and these kinds of twisty, turny stories, Such a Good Girl is a great read. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. So can you tell us more about your process building stories and particularly how you make them so interesting? Um, I once saw Bruce Coville talk and he talked about like the worst case scenario. And I think that's such a brilliant idea. Like you take somebody in a completely normal scenario and you make it really bad and then you make it worse and then you make it worse and then you make it worse. And that's like how I like to build my stories. Like you have a kid walking home from school. How can that be really bad? Right? Maybe he falls and he trips into a mud puddle. Okay. Well, that's not good. Well, what if he's carrying something he's not supposed to have? What if it's something that he took from his mother that she forbade him to take to school? What if it's something priceless that she can't replace? What if it's something that her mother gave that kid or her mother gave her when she was a little girl? What if it's something that um, is suddenly covered in mud and he can never replace for her? And then suddenly he has to explain to his mother why he stole that. So all of a sudden you go from a kid walking home from school to a priceless artifact that can never be replaced. So I think the worst case scenario is 100% a good way to build suspense and to build problems. And that's what I do. Like, okay, we have a kid sitting at home in his bedroom. How can we make that a bad situation? In the new novel, All of This is True, we unravel the story of a group of friends and an author they're obsessed with. When Miri, Soleil, Penny, and Jonah get a chance to meet the author, Fatima Rowe, they have to make sure it's perfect. They have to make sure she notices them. Told in alternating sequences of interviews, text messages, and excerpts from Fatima's new book, All of This is True gives us a vision of obsession, betrayal, and the blurred line between fiction and reality. This is another one that's hard to talk about, right? Like, it's hard to do too much without giving away spoilers. But one of the things that we know early on is that Fatima wrote her second book. So after the one that the teens were obsessed with, she wrote the second book about them. Mandy, what did you think of this book? It got me. It definitely hooked me. But I will say it wasn't right away because I found the format really different. First of all, it's really different. And I have to say, I really admire the author for taking on such a challenge because it's mixed media, right? What is there? It's like journal entries. What else was there? Emails between Soleil and Fatima. That's right. And the characters actually change names because the characters are doing interviews and there's this mixed media format, but then the characters are also being talked about in this other novel. So it's a little bit hard to keep track of who's who at first. So it's not a book you can go into and kind of just immediately go, okay, this is what's going on. You really have to pay attention to who the who's who. And so that at first kind of threw me off a little bit, I would say. What did you think about that? So I agree with you. The mixed media was a little difficult for me to get into to start with. Um, A lot of times when I read something or watch something, my first question is, why did this creator choose this medium to tell the story? So, like, why is this a video game instead of a book? Or why is this a movie instead of a TV show or something like that? So when I started reading this book, my first thought was, why is this a book instead of, like, a mockumentary type thing, you know? Uh, And I think that as I went along in the book, it got 
better, particularly as the the fictionalized version of their lives in Fatima Rose's new novel takes more of a prominent role. So I would say that, like you, it took me a little while to get into it. But then once I did, I thought it was a really fast-paced good read. What about you, Danielle? So I would definitely agree with you. I guess I'm used to, like, convergent mixed media. Like, so something like Big Little Lies, where we have the narrative largely happening from the beginning. And then we have some interviews that are clearly happening after whatever the incident is. Um, So I was, like, prepared for that. Except that in this book, there is no narrative that happens from the beginning until you really accept the fact that she wrote this book about these teens and that the novel excerpts are from the quote-unquote beginning. So it's like a little bit hard to get into. And, you know, it takes us a while to realize why the teens in the interviews at the very beginning are so angry that she wrote this book about them because the novel hasn't like caught up to the anger yet. I would definitely agree. Um, And what did you think of the friendships at the beginning? Um, I had a hard time putting the friendships together. That being said, you can definitely tell that the friends have splintered at this point. So like you, I thought it was a little difficult to believe that they were friends, Mm -hmm. particularly the character of Miri, who like very much was the, the key devotee of Fatima Rowe. And like a queen bee sort yeah in her friend group yes she seemed like very quick to throw her friends to the side and act very you know imperious and better than the rest of them moving forward i believed that penny cared about her friends yes absolutely and penny was the one throughout the story that maybe had the least action if you will but i connected with the most right because of that she had the most feeling i would say throughout the story she had the most emotion and um penny slash paloma i believe was always the one who was attempting to connect to the other characters and attempting to reach out and i really felt for her as the story progressed and if there was a real core to the story i think it was penny for me right and even though we're introduced to mary first i think that penny becomes the one that we can trust the most Mm-hmm. You know, she's not obsessed with Fatima um, to the point that the others are. And she's grounded and she cares about her friends. And she is in agony from the very beginning about whatever happened, which we discover kind of as the novel goes on. Yeah, I think that Penny from the beginning is our most reliable narrator. Not that she's incredibly reliable because she still has a biased perspective of everything. But she seems the least swept up either in her hatred of Fatima Rowe or the cult of personality around Fatima Rowe. Right. And there is this like cult of personality around Fatima. And once the girls find the first novel, Undertow, they kind of create this like culty sort of fan club and they get to meet Fatima and she becomes like a role model for them. And she tells them all about her theory of human connections and like how to tell your real truth. What did you think about that, Mandy? As an author, I think that is a little bit relatable because I think um, ultimately, I think people are looking for that in a variety of ways, whether that's through religion, whether that's through, I mean, something as simple as yoga classes or um, dating. People are looking for that sort of inner truth in one way or another. What did you guys think about it? 
I thought it made a lot of sense because I remember when I was a teenager, when I was younger, I would get incredibly obsessed with things. Like I like things now, but like I really liked things <laughs> when I was a teenager. You know, so I think that it makes a lot of sense because like if you had this author of this work that you admired who like showed up in your life, like you're going to lose your cool. You're going to, you know, follow along wherever they want to go. Like if J.K. Rowling showed up in my life when I was a junior in high school like or like 30 doing a podcast. Hey, I don't need your negativity. <laughs> and I don't need your sass. Right now, I would. I would follow her. <laughs> So I, I think that it makes a lot of sense with how how much like teenagers can really love something. Absolutely. I would agree. Me too. And with that, friends, we'll take our first break. When we come back, we'll share about things we like a lot today. Then we'll return to our discussion of All of This is True and dig a little deeper. Welcome back, y'all. It's time for Things We Like a Latte. Danielle, what is your brew of choice this week? So I just started watching Riverdale. I found Riverdale because I read Ship It by Britta London, and she said she was a writer on Riverdale. And so I'm like, well, I want more of what you're doing. So I'm going to watch that. It is like loosely based on the characters in the Archie comics. You know, like we have an Archie and a Betty and a Veronica. Um, but it's... A mystery, there's like potential murder involved, and I'm really only a couple of episodes in, but I love how like hyper stylized all of the cinematography is. And then after that it's really just got the the CW vision of teenage life, which is enjoyable. How about you, Mandy? What's your brew of choice? My brew of choice is actually kind of old school. I'm going back to We Were Liars by E. Lockhart because it Love is it. brilliant. Oh my gosh. So good. So good. And, and seeing as how we're talking about like suspense and psychological and just twists and turns, I mean, does it get any better than that? I really don't know. Like, <laughs> read it. You have to just read it. That's all I'm going to say. Read it. Amanda? Choice. Um So for my thing I like a latte this week, it's also a little bit of an older book, but I just read it because I'm... Uh, behind the curb. It's called Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, and it is fantastic. It's one of my favorite books I've read so far this year. Um, she just has this really keen observational wit. Um, it's so detailed in its perceptions of the world, and the writing is just so tight and wonderful. I really loved this book. I loved it the whole time I was reading it, and that is Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll return to our discussion of All of This is True. The rest of the show may contain spoilers, so if you're leaving us here, keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Audible. Audible is offering listeners of the YA Cafe a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook to get you started. Y'all, I love audiobooks. I listen to them all the time, whether I am grocery shopping or in the car or on a walk with Padfoot. It's just one more way to get more books in my day. 
Check us out at audibletrial.com slash YA Cafe. Happy reading! Welcome back, y'all, to the YA Cafe. We're continuing our discussion on All of This is True. If you haven't read this yet, we want to warn you again that this segment will contain spoilers. Spoilers! So I am super excited to talk about this book with you, Mandy, because there are unreliable narrators. And when I think of unreliable narrators, like, in addition to We Were Liars, which you just talked about in your Thing You Like Latte, I think of your books. I love liars. What can I say? (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, I also just love people that believe that they're telling the truth with their whole heart. And maybe that's their truth. I mean, I love people who are telling their own truth. And maybe it's not the real truth. Maybe it's not the right truth. But maybe they're experiencing life through their own lens. Yeah, I think that those books are important. And so like Miri, whom we're introduced to first, originally seemed sympathetic. But then as the tensions with Fatima grow, I liked Miri less because I felt Mm -hmm. that she was, you know, way too into Fatima. But like you said, like Mm -hmm. she believed all of those things. Oh, I felt that from the beginning. I felt that Miri from the beginning was like this sanctimonious person who was, you know, lording over all these other people, this deeper knowledge that she had and how she understood that Fatima loved them and blah, blah, blah. I didn't like Miri from the beginning. I'm surprised you found her sympathetic to start. What did you think, Mandy? Did you like her at the beginning? I I did. And I think Miri was one of the most interesting characters because I felt like she was searching so hard for this deeper meaning. But granted, I love slightly villainous characters. So <laughs> I, I might be biased. Um, and it's because, and we're skipping right to the end here, guys. I'm warning you. But at the end, she says to her friends, didn't you finish the book? And I'm not going to say any more because we'll get to that. But that to me was really powerful because she was like, didn't this mean something to you? Because to her, this whole book was like, a gift and and she put so much weight on this thing and um and I sympathized with that a little bit so I felt a little bit more from Miri I think I connected with her in that um I'm not saying I would have rushed out to be a friend but yeah that makes a lot of sense and I think that this novel played a lot with the weight of a book and a thing that you love and secrets just weight in general just kept coming back like Fatima Rowe talks about how when she finished her first manuscript which was her way of processing her own grief she printed it out and stood on a bathroom scale and like saw the weight of her grief in kind of a tangible way and you know I so I think that it makes total sense that Miri gives us this vision on how much a thing you love can can weigh. Okay, I have a question for you two. One of the things I found really interesting about this book is the two people with the largest secrets, if you will, or the largest, um, I would say, weights, so to speak, didn't have the perspectives in this novel, weren't, weren't spoken about. And that, of course, is Jonah and Fatima, right? So how did that work for you when you were reading it? So I think that we did get Fatima's perspective. I think that in the novel that she wrote. Okay. But I think that even if she had been like interviewed, she still would have have expressed herself in the interviews the same way that she wrote it. So she did with her relationship with Jonah, 
the same thing she did with her relationship with her mother, where she screwed it up in real life, slammed the door, didn't want to have a relationship with her mother, cut off her relationship with Jonah, and then wrote a different ending. Like, wrote where she was, like, empathetic and had this real connection with people. So I think that with her, like, we saw her reality in that she believes in human connection but is simultaneously unable to actually do it and so writes these fictions in which she is the empathetic hero. And I think in terms of the not having the Jonah perspective, um, first of all, we did get a little bit of that from Fatima's viewpoint because the novel excerpts are from Brady's perspective and Brady is Jonah's avatar and blah, blah, blah. But one thing that Amanda and I talk about a lot and I think this is somewhere where you can really weigh in, Mandy, is like, how could you have Jonah's perspective and keep Jonah's secrets secret? No one must know my secret. That's how. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we've talked about this trope before of like the no one must know my secret. I hate it. I hate it. But like you do a great job of having your narrators have secrets. So like... I guess we could have had a Jonah perspective. Well, for mine, you know, I did Secret Lies and Scandals in third person. And of course, and this is a little spoiler, obviously, but such a good girl was an unreliable narrator. Yeah. Um. So I think there's definitely different techniques. And, you know, with Jonah, he actually, the way I understood it, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jonah asked Fatima if she would give him this absolution. Did he not? So in a way, he was saying rewrite my story so in a way maybe she was listening to him maybe but i i thought that that happened like before fatima realized that jonah was not in fact the victim of this hazing incident he was the the perpetrator perpetrator of it here's my issue with this story i know the whole thing where he was a sexual abuser was supposed to be a twist. And and I'm giving a lot away right here if, you know, you haven't read this book. But Jonah is a sexual abuser. This is, you know, he he committed this heinous act. Um, but I, I thought that was very obvious from me the beginning. Me too. Yeah, me, me too. So and when it was so like a big I, twist, it was like, what? And like, everyone knew this. <laughs> I, exactly. And, and so I assumed that when he was in this room with, Fatima, that that's what he was telling her is like, I need to be absolved. I need to be forgiven. And when she was saying, I'll rewrite your story, that's what she was talking about. I also, so that was my assumption. I also felt and still feel, um, and we don't have Fatima's perspective, so no one can say I'm wrong. But I felt that Fatima knew from the very beginning, as soon as I knew, I felt that Fatima knew that Jonah was the abuser and I felt that mm-hmm. she manipulated everyone for a bigger drama for her book. I disagree. I don't think she knew because she like freaked out when she found out and like kicked them all out of her house and slammed the door and then never spoke to any of them again. So I don't think she knew. I think she was blindsided. I think she felt dumb. Yeah, that was my impression. Do you think of it. that was a facade though? Like, oh now I have to pretend that you know, now I have to pretend that, you know, I Thank you, I Mandy. I agree. No, facade. because here's what I think. I think that she reacted in a gut way, and that's when she, she, like, slammed them out. But then in the book, the way that she wrote it was, like, she reached out to Brady, and in the, she was, like... In the novel, in, in the book, yep. the novel excerpt. Yep, the bookception situation. It's, it's complex. 
So she wrote that like she was welcoming to Brady and like they had this whole reckoning and all these kinds of things because I think that's what she wanted herself to do. And I think that if she had had that lead in, like if she could have planned it, she would have planned herself doing that. But then in reality, when it was like quick split second, she couldn't do it. I don't know. I think that Ligia de Peñaflor has to expect more from her readers than that they would be caught like unaware that Jonah wasn't what he seemed because it's not like he was particularly like I don't know I didn't find him particularly sympathetic or anything like he he mentioned he had been away from home like he was being kind of shady I completely agree because he is he has this obsession with being a good person and that he's so concerned that he's not a good person right and he's so worried about these things that he's done wrong, right? And I understand that victims can often blame themselves. So there is that route that you could go down, right? But to me, it was pretty obvious that he wasn't a victim, that he was the perpetrator of the sexual assault. And so I don't know. To me, I just feel like Fatima was absolutely, and tell me if you disagree, I feel like she was manipulating the situation. Well, I, I agree with you. I don't, and I'll fight you both. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about how Penny was the most reliable narrator. And then when we get to the end, we find out that she's never even read the book. <laughs> she, <laughs> I really loved that. <laughs> she hasn't read either book. She hasn't read Undertow, and she hasn't read The Absolution of Brady Stevenson. And... Yeah, that's the twist. That's the real twist. That is the real twist. I loved that. I loved that about her. And she's just so desperate to be accepted. We all know somebody like that. Sometimes we are that person. You know, we're all that person who's like, yeah, that TV show was amazing. And then you're like, my gosh, I had to watch that TV show. (laughs) (laughs) How do I watch seven episodes tonight? (laughs) Like, (laughs) (laughs) Let's go. Let's go binge Vanderpump Rules. (laughs) That's that's me, by the way. I love that show. Um, But, you know, we've I feel like we've all been her. Like we've all been striving for acceptance. And I just I found her so relatable in that way that she just she wanted that so bad. And she was. I mean, she was the good friend in this story. Yeah, and she was really broken up about how, you know, she's the one that discovers that Jonah was the perpetrator, the abuser, and she brings that to the group and then, you know, feels responsible when Fatima writes about it. And so she has all of this angst and, like, all she wants is for all of her friends to be friends again. But, like, that ship has sailed. We don't really hear from Soleil afterwards until like the very last chapter where Soleil is saying Fatima manipulated us. She like submitted all of her journal entries and emails to the New York Times and everything, but we don't actually hear her voice. Did y'all think that worked with Soleil's character? Um, I thought it was really interesting how it was handled because I think this book is an examination of you know, like I said, it's it's really tough subject matter. What happens to people who interact with someone who's committed such a serious crime um, after the fact? Like, she has a lot of unpacking to do, and maybe she just wasn't ready to do that with um, a reporter, or she hadn't put anything down in her journal, or something like that. So, so I don't know. I think that's a really tough question to answer. I would have liked to see more from her. What do you guys think? So, I think that One thing that really interested me about Soleil is that, you know, about like a quarter of the way through the novel, Fatima wants Soleil's notes 
like Soleil is portrayed as constantly having her computer and constantly taking notes about all of her interactions. And Fatima calls that Soleil's truth, and she basically like insists that Soleil send her the raw edits of her notes and interactions. And so that you know that creates like the observer effect. And then what happens after that? Like how how real is Soleil being with those notes and those journals? And like you said, Mandy, does she have the space to kind of process what she's going through? Or is she feeling like she's under surveillance? Absolutely. That's our show for today, friends. Thank you so much to Amanda K. Morgan for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, guys. This was so much fun. If you haven't checked out episode three yet, we talk about secrets, lies, and scandals and why you should totally read Mandy's books. You can find Mandy on Instagram and Twitter at Amanda K. Morgan. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Happy reading.